Hello and welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Africa podcast, where we spotlight the voices of innovators and entrepreneurs shaping the marketplace across the continent. This week, we are featuring Dr. Ngozi Onyea. Dr. Onyea started Palion Memorial Hospital in memory and honor of her daughter, Patricia, who was born with a rare congenital syndrome and passed away at nine years old. After seeing the care and excellence Patricia was treated with in other countries, Dr. Onyea was inspired to bring change to Nigeria's healthcare industry. Alongside a predominantly female workforce and the support of her church, she has led Palion to be the first Nigerian hospital to achieve the Safe Care 5-star rating and the first to be accredited by Nigeria for the treatment of COVID-19. Palion Hospital has continued to demonstrate their commitment to improve Nigeria's healthcare landscape through safe, timely, patient-centered treatment, and they played a pivotal role in serving the infected during the COVID-19 pandemic in the area. We are excited to hear her powerful story. Let's tune in. Let me show you Africa as an entrepreneur. Africa is a fundamental part of the global economy. There are people building businesses in Africa, continental businesses that are huge businesses. So it's a vibrant, young market with lots of energy, talent, and skills. What can I do? What role can I play? What is my purpose? When we put our faith and our trust in God, He's the master strategist and always directs our path. God went after the very thing that could become a mammoth stronghold in my life. He said He wants that. And every time it gets too difficult, I basically say, you are the one, this is your business, God. You will get the glory. Uh, there's a way the world does business and there's a way we do business. So come, come see that Africa. The size of our continent, along with our diverse cultures, provide us with rich insights into God and his creativity. We are excited to highlight the many influential voices of innovators and entrepreneurs across Africa. We will also feature some entrepreneurs from around the world who we think have important things to say, no matter where we call home. These are the stories of how businesses flourish and how his call to create continues to this day. Come for the content. Stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Entrepreneur. Welcome to today's podcast. We are so delighted and honored to have a special guest in the studio and Fosa and I will be engaging with Dr. Ngozi Onya. You are not a stranger to our podcast, Dr. Ngozi Onya. I know that the FDE team visited you in Lagos and got to see the fantastic work that you're doing. So we're truly honored to have you. Welcome. Thank you, indeed. It's an honor to be here and a pleasure to Fantastic. Efosa, great to have you as well. And we'll just kick it off. Dr. Ngozi, you know, when I hear your story, and I'm sure so many listeners have been struck by the fact that you took on this incredible vision and responsibility to start a hospital in the wake of your daughter's death. So share with us, how did you actually make that decision? And what went through your mind when you lost your daughter? And how did it bring you to this place of founding the hospital in 2010? I think about... Patricia's death was probably just the final catalyst that brought to birth 
a vision I had had all my life, most of my working life. My dad was a doctor and ran a private hospital, the first private hospital in my hometown. And I think it made a big difference. So I always knew someday I will also want to make a difference by running a private hospital. But mothering Patricia, taking her across three countries, across two continents, seeking healthcare, opened my eyes to the things that were very good about healthcare, but also the things that were not so good about healthcare. And so I decided to run a practice that will do things right, the way I think things should be done. It was very sad for me boarding a flight on the third day after surgery, having delivered Patricia, seeking healthcare in the UK for a condition which I had once been treated in Nigeria, maybe 20 years earlier as a medical student. So I thought to myself, so why can't this be done in Nigeria? So the point was to try and redefine healthcare in Nigeria, and that was the vision that birthed Pelon Memorial Hospital. Now, Pelon has gone on to become a household name, especially during the COVID crisis, but it didn't always look so good. And when you decided to take this risk, you know, it was a big sacrifice because you had a good job. Can you walk us through what you were thinking about, how you managed that risk from a spiritual and a personal perspective? and how it eventually paid off. I had a very good job, very high paying job with Nigerian Bowies as the medical advisor. But this has always been my dream. So that was mostly a management job. And I'm a born clinician, I'm a born doctor. So it was something I always knew I wanted to do, but I needed the money as I was raising children through secondary school and university. And so I needed a high paying job, but the, my children graduated in 2009. And so in 2010, I thought it was a good time to venture. It actually started with my visiting Monrovia, Liberia in 2009 for a conference. And I almost heard the Macedonian call when Liberia had just come out of the war situation and they were rebuilding healthcare in Liberia. And they didn't have a single pediatrician in Liberia. And I thought to myself, yeah, you're a pediatrician and you're working in the room. They need you in Liberia. So I made the decision to go to Liberia. But for all kinds of reasons, that plan didn't come to fruition. So as I, what I had signified my intention to leave, to go to Monrovia. So as I was leaving the brewery and my boss handed over the check to me, my severance fee, he said to me, if Liberia doesn't work out for you, why don't you start a practice in Lagos? Suggested specifically in Kogi or Victoria Island. And that's how Pelon was birthed because Liberia didn't work out. Amazing. So in between the lines, I'm reading tenacity, courage, but also a very supportive work environment that birthed this new vision. And I happen to sit on the board of Nigerian breweries. So I'm really happy to hear that you were at that organization and that you had a good experience. But, you know, 10 years before you started making a profit? You know, those must have been difficult times. What kept you going? What vision from God and what support structures sustained your commitment to this drive? I think the first and most important thing, despite the fact that we didn't turn a profit for the first nine years of the business, was the fact that it was a calling beyond a job. It was the second half of my life. I mean, it was a question of, been there, done that. So money was no longer a big focus as long as I was able to meet up to my commitments and pay salaries. 
also a sense of accountability. So when I started the practice, I only had half of my severance pay. The other half I had used to buy an apartment. And friends and family gave me money here and there. And there was just no way I was going to go back to them to say it didn't work out. So I just kept at it and the grace of God. I must give credit to a very strong and supportive team that worked with me. People who bought into my vision, who believed that someday it would turn around for good. I mean, more than one occasion, couple of occasions, we've had to pay half salaries. We're not able to pay up the full salaries. And I've given people the option of, we can pay the full salaries, but let some people go or pay half salaries. And every time they said, no, don't let anybody go. We will accept our half salaries. And they did. And we never had to refund them. It wasn't a matter of, we'll pay you back the other half when we can afford it. It was a sacrifice they were making. And they stayed. Not one person left the organization because they didn't get their full salaries. And it happened more than once. I can recall at least five times that happened. The last two times were in 2020, just at the pandemic hit us. So in March of 2020 and April and May, we couldn't pay the full salaries and people just paid the cost. So I've had supportive people. The fact that sense of accountability to people who trusted me and gave me money and brought into my dream. I've had also the sense of purpose. I think that's very important, sense of purpose. I realized this is what I should be doing. And the fact that it wasn't profitable did not mean that it wasn't what I should be doing. And the grace of God, I think. So hearing this, Dr. Onya, most people would say Nigerians accept half salary. Is that possible? <laughs> that team is exceptional, but it also means <laughs> that you're an exceptional leader. And I've noticed that you have a lot of strong women in your organization and you've built a formidable team with females in very senior roles. Can you just tell us, was that a deliberate decision to empower women? And has that proven to be a winning strategy for you? It wasn't a deliberate strategy, but it's very difficult to get men who be willing to work under women. So what I found that the people who stayed, the people who bought into my vision, the people who supported me were mostly women. Of course, the first was my daughter. Even my son didn't stay with me. So my daughter stayed with me. And yeah, so it was more of a default than a deliberate thing. But then it also became a winning strategy. So much easier for me as a woman to manage women. Even now that my female colleagues say that the way I manage them is different from the way I manage the few men. They think I'm scared of the men. Yeah, they say to me, Dr. Onya, if, if I had done this, you'd have a go at me, but because it's the male colleague, then you're not saying much, you know? So I think it was just much easier to manage women, I think. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Uh, well, let it be on record that I am here being managed by my boss, my co-host, Didi. She is my boss here, and I'm happy to be managed by her. Well, thank you so much. Uh, just hearing this is truly inspiring. Um, you know, we mentioned, you know, COVID earlier, but, you know, COVID was incredibly challenging for everyone. But I was also, it was rewarding as well, especially for you and your staff. You know, you remain committed to treating patients despite the novelty of the disease. I mean, most of us didn't even know what was going on in the world. How long would it last? And your staff took a lot of, there was a lot of sacrifices. You know, you also gained some visibility based on what you did. Um, so just, you know, as the disease was really starting to surface and take over everything, what prompted you to walk into that risk in a season where 
you know, we just weren't sure what this thing was and how long it would last, what it would look like. What was that conviction that prompted you to walk into it and commit to treating people? The decision to treat COVID, I didn't think I had an option. First and foremost, I believe that, you know, the power of life and death belongs to God. And yeah, so I, as a doctor, I cannot fear disease. Then what's the point? I cannot fear disease as a doctor. When I signed up, when I swore to the physicians, oh, to be a doctor, I did not swear to treat certain illnesses and not to treat others. So it wasn't optional. I think it's like a soldier saying they will not go to war because it's a stronger army, but they will fight against the weaker army. So for me, it was never a consideration. I didn't even think we had an option. But luckily, because of WhatsApp, I saw doctors saying they will not treat and so on. So I made it very clear from the beginning that we didn't have a choice because I said, if healthcare workers, if doctors don't treat COVID, then who will treat COVID? It was, oh, it was our responsibility to find the treatment for COVID, and we did in the end, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. So I, it wasn't a very difficult decision for me, but I'm also very grateful to my colleagues who bought into the vision and followed my lead without knowing a little bit blindly, but they were, I didn't know which where I was going either, but they were ready to follow me. And I'm really, really grateful to them. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that set me up for the question I was just gonna ask you, which is like, I mean, during the height of this, many of your doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, they had to be separated from their families. You know, it wasn't a typical day at Pelion Hospital. You know, you go to work in the morning, go home in the evening. How did you as a leader deal with the pressure of having to make the decisions, right, on a day-to-day, maybe even hour-to-hour basis, you know, depending on the information and things we were learning about COVID and what your staff could do and couldn't do? How did you manage all that during that time? It was a really challenging period. But something that helped was, I was probably at my most prayerful at the time. So mm. I go on my five kilometer prayer walks every morning. And during the COVID pandemic, it was not optional. It was a lifeline for me. And so I told God. And I had lots of discussions with the Lord, you know, that kept me through the pandemic. I'll tell about a particularly difficult situation where I, we had two patients on the ventilator. and the intensive care physicians that were managing the patients tried to hold me to ransom. So at the point of providing the service, they suddenly increased the already very high costs, I mean, charges, fees. Mm. And I, I'm a bit of a tough cookie myself. And I said, no. And they walked away. They walked away. So I thought to myself, okay, not a big deal. I spoke to one of my colleagues and said, don't worry, I'll get you two more doctors. And he called the first and he said, oh, he'll be there in 30 minutes. And 30 minutes later, there was no doctor. And suddenly the phones were switched off. So apparently it was like almost like a, a cartel. And the yeah. one person had said, nobody should work with payload. So nobody was willing to work. That day wow. I was losing my mind and I had two patients on the ventilator. So I went to my prayer walk, left my phone behind and I just said, Lord, you know that I went into this not for profit or anything, but to save lives. It's your business to save these lives. And when I got back, I looked at my phone and I saw that the nurses, the intensive care nurses who were still on duty, 
were posting the same things that had been posted even when doctors were there. Apparently, what I found that, that the intensive care nurses are actually the backbone of the intensive care units. So the doctors just come in and leave. The intensive care nurses are the ones who manage. And so for more than one week, that intensive care was being managed by nurses only. There's nothing I could do. And then one of them said to me one day, I have this doctor. He's not a consultant yet, but he's very good at what he does. And at this point, I wasn't proud. I said, please, let him come in. And he was willing to break ranks with the others, and he came in. And the good thing, those two patients were discharged. They are both still alive, and I talked to them regularly. But what is best was that this doctor is also a Christian, Dr. Lauli. He's a Christian. Wow. And so, like I say, he was more excited about the fact that Mr. Patel gave his life to the Lord than the fact that Mr. Patel did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> to the point of managing them, he was witnessing to them, he was leading them to the Lord. He had so much compassion. So, in the end, as in all things, God worked this for my good and for the good of the patient. That was the most difficult part of the pandemic. Those two weeks with those two patients on the ventilator. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think for many of us, COVID was this really big, bad thing. And we may not have intricate personal stories like that. But um, just hearing you share that, and I'm sure there are many others, is something. Um, two things struck out to me, just prayer. The simplicity, yet the power of prayer. How you go on your walk and you just talk to God, our Father. And how that had an impact on you, just keeping you strong and going. And the humility, right? The humility of going and investigating, finding out how you can solve this really serious problem, even if it meant taking in a doctor who was not yet a consultant. So anyways, thank you. I'll pass it over to my boss, uh, <laughs> Didi. <laughs> No, it's such an inspiring story, honestly, because I was living in Nigeria at the time. Mm. And obviously, we all wish that we wouldn't have COVID and have to be in intensive care. But if you were going to be in any hospital, it was going to be Pelon. And, you know, you just were heroic at that time. When many hospitals sent away patients, you received them and you nursed them back to health. Uh, so clearly, this is a calling from God. And you've told us, you know, that, you know, you've relied on prayer. But what stands about your story is that really, it's really the elders and the fellowship laying hands on you, commissioning you as co-laborers, your role in the Elevation Church. So can you walk us through how the body of Christ has stood by you and what role you have played in the body of Christ through this ministry? Thank you for your very nice comments. I was an ardent member of the Christian Union in my medical school days. And we qualified, we got a result on one day, the same day we were sworn in as physicians. So we swore to the physician's oath. And that same evening, we also went to the last fellowship with the Christian Union, where they commissioned us, laid hands on us, and sent us out as co-laborers in God's healing field. And I took it as a calling, a vocation. I, I'm a very passionate person and I take everything I do. I tend to be almost fanatic and extremist in the things I do. So I take it very seriously and very literally. And as the laid hands on me, I did feel that, you know, they were commissioning me and I took it as a serious calling. I've never been tempted to become a pastor because for me, this is my own calling. And 
So I do it with everything in me. You know, it's beyond, I expect to get a rich reward in heaven. So I'm working for a reward in heaven, not really on earth. The material reward that comes on earth, it's nice, but it's mostly for the reward that will come in heaven. I'm accountable to God. I know he sees everything I do, even the thoughts of my heart. So that's the passion with which I work. And then I joined the Elevation Church in 2014. Before then, I had struggled with depression from the birth of Patricia, from the death of Patricia, from a failing marriage. So I struggled with depression. But I went to the Elevation Church and the first sermon, the very first sermon I heard preached in the Elevation Church lifted that depression. And it was a sermon around the fact that we're built for connection. But you know, when God reaches you, you may not, other people heard that same sermon and probably didn't impact them the same way. But it was a word directly from God to me that lifted my depression. And although I'm a lot older than the average age of an elevation church, but I felt this is my own church. The truth is preached from the pulpits. And so I just became a member. Because of the age barrier, and I'm a bit of an ageist, it was very difficult to be as active in service as I'd like to be. But somehow I came to the attention of, of the leadership of the church and quite a few of them come to this hospital and count me as their doctor, which is an honor. So they have me on their phone and I have them on my phone. So in my own little way, like an older person in the church, I'm a member of the advisory board of the um, Peacefields Foundation. And something else was during the pandemic, during the lockdown, which was a fairly difficult period, we started holding a medical Bible study on Thursdays. So every Thursday, nobody was going anywhere. We didn't have much to do. I led a Bible study for all the members of the medical workforce, the G squad medical group. And that was very comforting and very ennobling for me. So I really enjoyed that. So yes, my faith community in the Elevation Church is a very important part of my life and my well-being. That's so inspiring. And I absolutely love Pastor Godman and his team. And actually, when Henry was in Nigeria, I know he spoke at the Elevation Church. And right now we are partnering with the Elevation Church. I think there are 20 faith-driven entrepreneur foundation groups being launched from the church as we speak. So it's really a great, great, great support network for Christians in the marketplace, which is, you know, what you've just testified. So uh, well done to you and the team. And, you know, before we go into the rapid fire, you know, as I reflect on that COVID period with all the good things, there was also a lot of pain. You lost more patients than you had lost in 30 years of your work as a doctor. Um, how did you stay focused? What sustained you? And how did you emotionally survive this really, really difficult period? It was a very difficult period, yes. And there were so many deaths in a short period of time. And um, I think having lost Patricia and having lost my mother soon after, nine months after Patricia passed, and she was only 71 and she was very healthy, so it was a very, very sudden death. I learned to accept death at the end of life. So something I do is I pray for my patients. It's one of you know, my prayer points mostly now. There isn't too much I'm looking for again in life. So I'm praying a lot for my patients. So I was I pray for my patients and I follow through with their management remotely because I didn't work in the intensive care myself. And um, so it was painful to see people die. 
One of my classmates from secondary school lost her husband under my care. That's still a big burden on my heart. I haven't seen her since her husband passed, but I just wonder how I feel when I see her. And then a friend, a schoolmate also from secondary school, lost her brother under my care. His was particularly painful because he called me one morning and said, good morning, this is Dr. Kosoanso. And he says, I have COVID, I'm very ill, and I want you to look after me. So he had confidence. He was moving from one hospital to ours, and then he passed on. That was really, really painful. But I think I just prayed and I realized that some people who were very ill and we had given up hope and recovered, and some who didn't appear that ill went on and died. And I realized that as long as we had done our best, we really didn't have the power over life and death. That power ultimately still belongs to God. So I just got on with it, which is something I'm very good at doing, getting on with things. Yes, getting on with it through the grace of God. Thank you. Thank you for sustaining your commitments and not giving up. So our lightning round session is up and it's 30 seconds. I'm just going to ask quick questions and please respond in 30 seconds. So the first one, I know you get a lot of wonderful notes from clients that come into your building. What's one of the most memorable notes you've gotten from a client? The most memorable note I got in from a client I received about two or three days ago, and it was Bella Disu who put a lovely post about me on LinkedIn. That was amazing, simply amazing. And I'll ask you all to go and look up Bella Disu and the post she put up about three days ago. Fantastic. We'll check it out. What's one thing you appreciate about Nigeria that not a lot of people outside the country recognize? There are several good things, but first and foremost, we are very warm people, very warm and very kind people in Nigeria. And I think people recognize that as well. Wonderful. I agree with you. What do you do to rest? <laughs> I walk. Walk and pray. I power, <laughs> yeah, I power walk. Five kilometers, that's my rest. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I watch movies on Netflix. <laughs> Movies and Netflix. All right. How would you encourage other entrepreneurs to partner with their churches? The church, I think, is a family. It's a home. And I think everything starts with the home. So the church is your family. And everything should start with your family. The church should be a very big part of anything you do. And you should be a big part of what the church does. So service in the church, I think it's very important. I love that. Your church is your family. And serve your family. Last, what advice would you give entrepreneurs who are persevering through hard times? Hanging there. Efosa, mm. over to you. Hang in there. <laughs> Hang in there. Hang in there. I mean, that it's so simple, but it's probably one of the most important things for an entrepreneur, perseverance. Just hang in there. Well, thank you so much. It's been amazing to learn from you, learn your story, learn about Paleon and uh, just the conviction that you've had to build this place of refuge for people at perhaps their most vulnerable and difficult time when they're sick and not well. One of the things we like to do at the end is just ask, you know, God is constantly knocking on our doors, trying to get our attention and teaching us new things. And so we'd just love to get a sense for what are you hearing from God? What is he teaching you now? It could be something you found in his word recently that stuck out to you. 
It could be in the phase of life you're in now, I mean, a big theme, but we would just love for you to share what the Lord is teaching you right now. So I do a Bible study, study the Bible through the year. And my reading two days ago was from Matthew chapter 25, the story of the talents in the New Living Translation, mm. the parable of the talents. And it says God gave to them according to their ability. I never noticed that before. According to their ability. And so I recognize that whatever God gives to us for good or bad, it's according to your abilities. He knows you are able, and that is why he gives it to you. And so I continue to find grace and ask for grace to, yeah, to do whatever God has asked me to do. Oh, man, that's so amazing. I love how you read the Bible. I mean, you've been reading the Bible for a long time, and you just said you've never noticed that, right? It's really fascinating how it's really a living word. And the more we engage with it, the more our loving Father teaches us and shows us things. Um, so last question, how can we, you know, on the faith-driven team be praying for you? For grace to continue and to stay the course. So as having done everything, I will not be cast away at the end. At the end. Awesome. Well, that's perfect. Perfect way to end this, for grace to continue and stay the course. Yeah, we've come to the end of this podcast. It's been such a blessing and an honor to spend this time with you. And thank you so much for the work you're doing. May God continue to bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you all. Thank you very much. We are grateful for the opportunity to serve the community and see listeners tune in from over 100 countries. Entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. The best way to stay connected is to join a foundation group with other faith-driven entrepreneurs like yourself. There's no cost, no catch, in person or online. You can meet an hour a week with your peers from your backyard across the continent or on the other side of the world. You can also stay connected by signing up for our monthly newsletter at africa.faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. All this is made possible with the special help of all our friends. Thanks to the volunteers leading entrepreneur groups and watch parties to spark this movement in your city and country. We are grateful for you and hope you'll continue to share this with friends.